when the apocalypse hits. Mm -hmm. Perhaps because she was a congresswoman, she had a certain amount of security cover or something, and anyway, she was directed there. There was a supply dump there, and obviously it had been intended as an army base and a location for collecting survivors, but that plan went down the tubes, and they just found themselves there. Her husband, otherwise known as Sir Not Appearing in this movie... Yes. (laughs) Yes, I'm assuming we're going to find out what happened to him. You know, in a later episode. Or just, I mean, we can't have met the whole community. We haven't, for example, met the surgeon. That's true. So, maybe he's just off architecting somewhere else during this episode. (laughs) Yes, possibly. (laughs) They've lived in a very secluded way. Because so much of Northern Virginia was evacuated as it was all happening, the population of both surviving humans and walkers is relatively low, Mm. which kind of explains how they've done so far. Mm. And they've... Basically kept themselves to themselves and haven't even considered taking in a group for quite some time. Mm. So, that's the story of Alexandria. Rick warns Diana that basically you shouldn't open the gates to people. Mm. She says even him. And he sort of says, well, you know, you might have lucked in with me, but yeah, basically. Mm. We could have just all come in and shot you all up. Yeah. He gives a very succinct explanation of the new power dynamic for the world. It's all Mm. about survival. Mm. And his description of what survival means in terms of group politics mm. and what it means for him as a leader of a group is very good, I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. You know, I mean, this is a conclusion that we've seen him make his way to for several seasons now. <laughs> After he's spoken with her, she puts the hard word on about making a decision. Mm. Are they saying at least for now, or not? They hand over their guns. Carol adopts her glorious disguise... And she's all, oh shucks, I'm not sure how to handle this massive gun I've got slung over my shoulder. <laughs> and her smile, it's amazing. <laughs> like it just that, gets better like and better. Like, oh, don't mind me. Oh, who, me? Yeah. <laughs> Makes me wonder, given how good she is at this stuff, how much did she play in the group originally? Hmm. Like, I don't think she was pretending about Ed being a horrible bastard, because he did plenty of his own presenting of evidence on that front. Indeed. But, I I don't know, I'm interested to know how much of her persona was constructed from the start. I reckon what we saw at the start was what was there. I think that's probably true too. I I think that the the facade that Carol is putting up now is very much a construction of now. Oh, it's amazing. (laughs) Well, we'll go into more of that a bit later on. (laughs) This entire storyline is made worthwhile by watching Carol and Daryl this episode. Uh, it was entertaining. <laughs> okay. Aaron takes them to their new two houses. Well, when you haven't had one for a long time, two is an embarrassment of houses. And they are some nice houses. Yeah. Is it Carl who calls them mansions? Yeah. Yeah, not kidding, kid. No, no they are very, very nice places to live. With running water. Mm. Can you imagine when Carl was reaching towards that tap and water came out of the tap? God... There have been moments throughout the series where someone has been, you know, exposed to something that they couldn't have seen since civilization was still up and running. Let's call them yo-yo moments. (laughs) When Beth woke up in the hospital and saw a clock on the wall and it was ticking. Yeah. That's one of them. And I think this was another. Seeing Mm. actual, proper, clean water coming out of a tap on demand. Yeah. And certainly Rick's shower later on was another. (laughs) Well, it's the next scene, actually. Rick cleaning himself up. and with, he, the, with the appropriate steam. Appropriate steam all the way. <laughs> I, wish the, I wish the appropriate steam had been a little more inappropriate. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> well, you're not going to tell me that you do not wish that. I found it appropriate. <laughs> okay. It's a family show, John. Oh, yeah. Did you see all the, <laughs> the internet complaints last week? <laughs> it's true. You know, you could watch a supposedly 12-year-old nearly get raped. That's fine, but two men kissing. <gasps> My kids don't need to My see that. My kids don't need to see that. Yeah. <laughs> their kids watch this show? Uh, to be honest, I think only extremely irresponsible parents would let their children watch this show. Not jobs. And uh, I suspect they're the kind of parents whose children probably need to see a good man-on-man bash. <laughs> One thing that's very notable about this scene, apart from the appropriate steam, is how reminiscent it is of Shane's scene where he shaved his head. 
Oh, I hadn't thought of that. There's a lot of the shots of him in the mirror and wiping away the mm. steam on the glass. and mm. You know, it wasn't as detailed, but even the sort of slow trimming, then cutting, then shaving. There was a lot of echoes of that earlier scene. Mm, right. But whereas for Shane, that was about him completely turning the corner into aggression and being crazy. Yes. With Rick, it was sort of the reverse. Yes, well, it's a symbol of possibly becoming slightly more civilised again. Mm. When he just shaved the beard, he had a real Loki look, which was, you know, unacceptable. So, luckily, a nice young woman turns up to cut his hair. <laughs> a Loki look. I'm quite a big fan of the Loki look. I am a Loki, Loki, but on Rick Grimes, it just looked like he was a sort of goth without makeup. <laughs> Fair enough. He did definitely look better after the haircut. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> And the TV code for these people are going to hook up occurs, which is that Rick is astonishingly shirtless when she gets to the front door. You think that was TV code for that? That is TV code for these two are eventually going to end up together. Oh. That's a shame. Why? Well, I was hoping that he was going to end up with Michonne. Which I know has not really been hinted at at all. It's just something I there is like time, the idea of. There is time for all things. <laughs> She gives a haircut, she introduces the fact that there's a central pantry and supply, and she talks about the fact that she's got kids. Yeah. And wouldn't it be great for Carl to have some friends to play with? Well, she says specifically that her son wants to meet him. Yeah. So nice, these people. So nice. Almost a little too nice. Mm. (laughs) We get a brief shot of Daryl's interview with Deanna, (laughs) and he is not on board. No, he's just walking around with a dead possum swinging from his belt. (laughs) Carol and Rick have a quick conversation between the two houses. Now, they've obviously been clearing the houses and still checking for walkers. Mm-hmm. Habits die hard. And they all agree that they're all staying in one house because it would be a really clever way to split them up into two weaker groups. Oh, yeah. They clear both houses. Carl finds a stash of kids' stuff. And then everyone's bedding down for the night mm-hmm. in one of the two houses. I found it quite funny how everyone kept commenting on Rick's face. <laughs> well, funny. they haven't seen Rick look like that for a very long time. Some of them never have. Exactly, that's right. Some of them never ever have. Tara really had a like, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I also thought it was interesting how Deanna visited them mm. at the beginning of the evening. Noted that they were all staying together in the one house and that it was Rick continuing to look after his family. Mm. That visit also covers that everyone gets a job. Yeah. And everyone's got one, apart from the few that she points out haven't yet been given one. So, Rick and Michonne don't have jobs yet, Mm. although she's got one in mind, and it's entirely unsurprising what it turns out to be. Yes. Sasha Mm. doesn't, and Sasha gets her one moment for the episode, which is her looking angry for a change. Yes. I, I didn't think about that. I was like, I wonder why Sasha? And I thought, if... Deanna is good at reading people, which is what she says she is. So good that she was going to be a professional poker player if being a congresswoman didn't work out. I wondered whether Sasha is still consumed enough in grief about Tyrese for that to be, I don't know, a kind of a shield to Deanna's being able to read her, if you see what I mean. Oh yes, so she's not really shining through her own grief. No, all that Deanna might see at the moment is this incredibly hurt and angry person and nothing really of the person underneath. Maybe that makes sense. That's maybe why she hasn't been able to figure out a job for her yet. And of course, the last one is Daryl. <laughs> oh, and he's just... <laughs> Even in this short little burst, he has no time for this. Absolutely this. not. Absolutely you know, He looks away and you can just hear in his head, he's just thinking, fuck off. Fuck you, lady. That's right. Although I was thinking, actually, at that moment, I was thinking, surely you would make him the hunter. Like to a... go out for food. Yeah. Surely. I mean, he certainly strikes me in all of his interactions in this episode as being someone who is, um, he doesn't settle, you know, he doesn't sit during the interview. Yeah, he's restless. He's restless. And he also, I mean, of course, we know him much better than Deanna would, even with her laser-guided insight. Yes. (laughs) I think that he will need more time to acclimatise to not being in constant danger than the others. And so the way that I would deal with that would be to basically give him permission to hurl himself out there and (laughs) take out his anger on walkers whenever he felt like it. Yeah. Well, there was a good little moment in a few scenes' time where Carol is talking to him about the need to start keeping up appearances. It's a throwaway line, but he says, well, I'm not about to start that now. 
And it's a sort of little reminder that actually, before all this hit, he didn't really give a fuck about keeping That's up true. appearances. <laughs> That's true. He didn't leave a nice little community like this no. when the zombie apocalypse hit. No. In fact, he lived not all that differently from... How he lives now. How he lives now. Vanishing into the forest for days at a time. Mm. That kind of thing. Very much looking after himself. So it's not that surprising that he's really uncomfortable in this place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as I said, if it was up to me, I would give him a job which... Allowed him allowed to come him off to... for long periods That's of time. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so we come back from the break and Michonne is having her interview with Deanna. And she expresses really clearly that she wants in. Yes. And she wants in for her whole group. Mm-hmm. She gets asked the question, is the whole group ready? Is everyone in it mm. ready to be here? And she says yes, but you can see that she thinks about it for a minute. Yes. What yes. did you think? I think, honestly, she probably thought not everyone, but she wasn't going to jeopardise their chances by saying that. Okay. I don't think that Michonne actually thinks there's anyone in the group who can't acclimatise to it. I reckon she probably would have said so in some forum before mm-hmm. now. Probably not in the interview, but she would have said it to Rick or something. You know, so-and-so's not going to be able to fit in here, that kind of thing. So I think probably what she was thinking in that moment was there are some that aren't maybe ready yet, but they will be. So I'm just going to say yes. Because if I say anything else now, that's going to risk it. Yeah. And I don't want that to happen. I think as well that part of it is, even though Michonne wants into this really badly, she is also, I think, unwilling to leave members of the group behind. Yes. Or break up the group in any way. Sure. So I think she probably has a very strong feeling that if there's someone who's not ready for this, she's going to make them ready. Yes. That's certainly been the song that she's sung for the last few episodes. Mm. She was very insistent about finding out whether Aaron's deal was genuine, and then she was very serious about saying, we're all going. We're all going. Yeah. We need this. Not I need this, or not I'm going and you guys can do whatever you want. Yeah. We need this and we're going. Yeah. So it's a continuation of that thing. Yeah. The next morning, everyone decides they're going to go off exploring the community as invited. Rick looks away for a minute and loses Carl and Judith. And starts to freak the fuck out. He really does. And he goes herring off down the street looking for them. He topples over some bullshit handicraft thing that's going (laughs) on. Apparently it's going to be an owl. Anyway, it turns out that's in front of Jessie's house and she's working on it. But she quickly directs him to where the kids are likely to be. Yes. And there's some old couple who somehow made it through all the zombies. They must yes. be some spry old folk. But they used to have a very large family, yes. they're told. Many children and many more grandchildren. So my theory about how they survived is they threw their kids and grandkids behind them towards the walkers. Oh, I thought they maybe ate them. Oh! <laughs> one of the two. Maybe every second one they ate. Yeah, and the rest were bait. Yeah. Eat bait, eat bait. <laughs> I did think that the whole thing about Jesse making a sculpture, yeah. the really smacking us around the face with this idea that these are people who are not struggling to survive. Yes. You yeah. know, if you've got the time to make a pretty rubbish sculpture <laughs> of an owl, yeah. <laughs> then you're doing all right. <laughs> and, I mean, again, if you're making metal sculptures, that implies that you're using resources to weld for the sake of bullshit art. Yeah, it wasn't just bent metal. Yeah, but I think that they were going to be put all together in some way. Okay. Otherwise, how do they become a sculpture? Well, see, that's far more energy intensive than video games. Yeah, arc welding. Good choice. (laughs) Yeah. This episode's very much about showing us just how well off these people are. Yeah, I think you're right. That is really what they're going for. After they find the kids, she asks whether Carl might be able to come around and visit now because her kids are really keen to meet him. Mm Mm-hmm. So we see that scene, Carl's meeting the kids, and I didn't really bother to learn most of the names, but there's two young guys, they talk a bit about school and what it's like to live in the community a bit, and there's Enid, who's very quiet. So just a few things to talk about. When he talks about school, and he says, oh, well, the little kids go in the morning and the big kids mm. go in the afternoons, so and mm. I guess you'd be in with the big kids... There was a look that crossed Carl's face, and it occurred to me that the last time he was with other kids, he was one of the little kids. Yeah. When did he become a big kid? He's probably thinking. <laughs> but on the other hand, is he still a kid? Well, yes. 
I think where this is going is that he's going to find eventually he's got far more in common with Enid than he does with the other two. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> she They've clearly... already got the same taste in comic books. <laughs> we learned that she only arrived, was it eight months ago? Something like that, yeah. And had come from the outside, so she clearly knows what it's like out there. And I think what we're going to find out is that he isn't really a kid and he probably doesn't connect that much to the two boys. Yeah. And yeah, he did have that sort of moment of pause. Wait, what am I? Am I am I a little kid? No, am I a big kid? Yes, but am I even a kid? Yeah. <laughs> I shot my mother. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of, no, I'm not really sure I'm a child anymore of, of any kind. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's the very next scene where he's explaining that he had to kill his mum. Mm. And it's a really strong contrast between the two scenes. Yeah. It's also interesting, though, how freaked out he is by the idea of just hanging out with kids. Yeah. Well, I suppose he would have done so at the prison, but they were all significantly younger than him, weren't they? They certainly seemed to be. And there was also that, I think it was even said a couple of times, that he didn't want to be hanging out with them. He wanted to be out doing what they'd done when they were on the run for that winter, Mm. helping the group survive. And in the very next scene, he basically expresses what it is that's freaking him out. He's talking to Rick and he says, if we stay here, we're going to become weak like these people. Mm. Being in this place makes you weak. And if we stay here, we're going to turn into that. And I think that the whole way through, that's what's freaking him out. Yeah. Rick and Michonne can't sleep. She's trying to say, oh, we should really be in this. And he's still a little unsure. It's very much repetition of the places they were in last episode. But he decides to go for a walk. The only really notable thing here is that he meets Jesse's weird-ass husband. Yeah, he was weird. Maybe she mentioned that she saw Murdoch's shirt on. <laughs> yes. Sorry to break it to you, honey, but TV says we're not going to make it. <laughs> Even more importantly, John and Kate say we're not going to make it. Well, that's true. <laughs> they have spoken. We gone bang. <laughs> <laughs> we come back from the break and we have the best part of the episode. We do. Carol's video of lies. <laughs> All lies. All lies the whole way through about her wonderful husband. Oh, how much she enjoyed putting dinner on the table for How him. grateful she is to the group for helping her survive because she couldn't have done she it on her own. She couldn't have done it on her own and she's just such a people person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and to match her lies, we then see her come out of the house in the most extraordinary outfit. It's a very nice cardigan. Carol's face when he sees her. <laughs> yeah. Tell you what this is. This is Carol, Master of Disguise. It is Carol, Master of Disguise. <laughs> the last time she was disguised this well, she was wearing the poncho of horror. I know. <laughs> oh, she should have been a spy. <laughs> it was bizarre, and the interview was very strange. <laughs> But it also made me kind of go, why is she telling these lies? I mean, if there's things that she doesn't want them to know, then she could easily just omit the fact that she had an abusive husband. Mm. Like, she's actually going out of her way to create a totally false impression of who she is. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is so that they will underestimate her if it comes to a fight. Yes. You know, they will go, oh, this know-nothing woman... And, you know, she would just go completely badass on the place and terminus it up. Yeah. <laughs> she will locate a tank of gas, explode that motherfucker, and then have a middle-aged psycho lady face off with Deanna. Yep. <laughs> That's the thing that comes to my mind. The only possible reason she could have for fabricating such an elaborate alter ego is to trick the inhabitants into drastically underestimating her. Yes, I think the other effect it has is by being written off as a threat and by deliberately volunteering for any sort of community job, she's going to be out there scouting who the people are, making assessments about who the threats are. She's very carefully positioned herself very quickly to be on a sort of constant recce for the group. Who are the threats? Who's got any real strength behind them? I just love Carol. She's wonderful. (laughs) Meanwhile, Daryl doesn't even want to shower. (laughs) No, he spent a long time cultivating that greasy hair. He did. (laughs) I think the instinct to protect one's children like that is natural. Maybe he's conscious that once he showers, he'll be manifestly less attractive. (laughs) I think that's entirely possible. Yeah. We've cracked it. We've cracked it. I know. Could you imagine, like, if... Oh, God forbid Jesse offers him a haircut. 
He'll be like, you touch my head, bitch, you're going down. <laughs> Could you imagine how insulted he'd be if she gave him some shampoo? <laughs> Are you trying to kill me? <laughs> Do you know how many zombies I've distracted with this hair while I knife them in the brain? Yeah. <laughs> the next thing we see is Glenn's video. He wants in, just like Michonne. Yeah, and he says that they've been almost out there too long. So he's firmly in Michonne's camp on Alexandria? What do you think he means when he says we were almost out there too long? What would being out there too long look like? I think turning into something like the roving group that attacked Carl. Mm-hmm. Or uh, the hospital. I mean, as much as the hospital thought they weren't out there, mm. they were one of the worst products of being out there. Mm. And also, I mean, it's important to remember... It was only one episode long, and it was immediately followed by Aaron and all this new stuff happening. But immediately before Aaron approaches them, they really go right to the wall on food, on water, on survival. So it could also just be, how much longer could we have made it out there? Yeah. In purely existential terms. Yes. So over the next few scenes, three groups leave Alexandria. They go outside the walls. There's a lot of crossing over between the different groups, but in essence, here's how they go. Carl is sitting around the house bored and notices Enid sneaking out over the fence. Mm. He goes off and follows her, but he loses her in the woods. Meanwhile, Rick walks out the front door. (laughs) Big step up on any of the other communities they've met so far. Once you're inside, you're allowed to leave. Yeah, well, I was going to say that basically we're told that, weren't they? Yeah. You can go out and take your guns and all that shit. Yeah. But whereas at Woodbury there was a sort of idea that anyone was free to go, here it's actually practised. Yes. Carl, once he loses Enid, just sort of goes for an explore (laughs) and happens across Rick. Now Rick has gone back to the shack that he hid the gun Mm. at, but the gun is gone. It is. Who's going through blenders in piles of rubbish on the off chance they see a gun? Well, I think the only realistic solution is that someone was watching Rick when he hid the gun. I think so too. We know that Enid goes out. But if she found the shack and was interested in the pile of rubbish, she would have gone through it ages ago. Yes. She wouldn't have seen a reason to go through it again. Unless she was out and saw Rick. Yes. And the scouting, you know, the um, Aiden and the Douchebag Patrol. Douchebag Patrol, yeah. Probably did go through the shack at one point. But yeah. then why would you go through it again? Yeah. So I think it must have been the case that Rick was watched. He was seen when he hit the gun. Yeah. When someone took it. I mean, maybe it was needed but she wouldn't have just searched on the off chance there was something new since the last time. She must have been watching him if it was the case, and if it wasn't her, someone else was. Mm, that's interesting. And it introduces that maybe there's someone else out there. Yeah, or someone from Alexandria was watching them the whole time. And whoever it is has an unaccounted for gun. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah. My impression was he was going to leave with one gun, mm. return with two, and hand one of them back. That's what I thought his plan must have been. Yeah. So he finds that the gun's gone, he's very annoyed and frustrated, and he decides to take it out on the small herd of walkers heading (laughs) towards him. And Carl turns up just in time to join him for a bit of father-son slaughter bonding. Yes. You do see Rick looking at Carl for a few seconds, like, what are you doing here? Yeah. But it doesn't last very long. No. It's like, okay, you're here, let's get to work. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, he just accepts the reality of the situation and moves on to the more pressing matter of imminent walkers. Did you think that earlier on, when Rick saw the lone walker, Mm. although we quickly see another one, but he at first he just thinks there's one, and he deliberately doesn't shoot it or, or approach it and kill it, he leaves it. Did they follow him and appear at the shed? I think that it was part of one of the groups, perhaps. Okay. Because I was sort of wondering at the time, I was sort of going, why isn't he taking them out? And then it did occur to me that maybe he thought it wasn't enough of a challenge. Maybe. Maybe it's one of those unspoken things that maybe he's actually really addicted to the adrenaline of walker attacks and he's just never mentioned it to anyone. But actually, I really like it when they come out of nowhere. It makes me feel alive. Maybe. (laughs) I think it's more likely that he didn't want to waste a bullet Mm. shooting a walker that posed zero threat to him at that stage. Yes, I thought that as well. Speaking of walkers coming out of nowhere, (laughs) man, I get frustrated with the walker coming out from under the pile of rubbish. Why couldn't they hear it before? 
Why wouldn't it have tried to come after him the first time? Mm. Why wouldn't you hear it before? Yeah. Why does it come out just then? Yeah. It's season three stealth <laughs> zombies in the prison rubbish. Mm. It was already a threatening situation. Have one of them fall and grab him in the same way. Like, yeah. it's just... It's not necessary to have that kind of drop-scare rubbish. So that's the first two groups that leave. The other group is Glenn and Tara and Noah get approached by Nicholas, who they met at the gate, and another guy, Aiden. Now, Aiden is Deanna's son, and he seems to be in charge of the groups that go out on patrol and go out to get supply runs. And he really quickly establishes himself as a douchebag. Yeah. I mean, he says so later on. But even before that, his whole mode of operating, his attitude, is really objectionable on a number of levels. Well, it's sort of mildly objectionable at first. He just comes across as someone who's showing off a bit and is cocky. Yeah. yeah. But I, well, okay, mine was a pet hate of mine. I hate people who do that. Okay. Basically because I assume anyone who's cocky actually has no substance. Well, you know, if, if, if case, you have, if you actually have substance, you don't need to be cocky. Like yes. that's you know. And, I understand the premise, yes. and in this case, it is a trope well played out. It is because it happens, and it starts sort of mildly with him just being a bit too brash. You know, he says a bullshit thing to Tara, like I'm going to take the weight of your sack. And she's just got no time for his macho-ness. You know, I, what I liked especially about that is that. I mean, he doesn't know that she's gay. He probably is assuming that she's straight. Yeah. And so he probably thinks he's showing off to her in a way that, you know... Might be attractive. Might be attractive. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm putting aside the fact that none of the women in this group would be at all impressed by that. Yeah. She's doubly not impressed because she's like, you literally have nothing I'm interested in. <laughs> You have zero chance. You have zero chance. I'm so not impressed with you. I would pick Eugene before you. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, I just... The fact that she reacted when he said, take the weight of your sack, you know what I mean? She's like, well, no. But cool. Might have noticed that lady with zero interest in your sack. Yeah. (laughs) I would really love him to actually come on to her. Because I want to see that smacked. (laughs) (laughs) And it sort of slowly builds. So he's he's a douchebag to her, and then he talks big about these sweet guns he's taken from the Dragon Patrol. I know, I know. Just such meager offerings. Well, there was that, but for me, what stuck out was all of them are simply going to look at guns as tools. Yes, they're not going to be thinking how sweet their weapons are. Yeah, no one is going to be thinking that. They're just. These are tools which keep us alive. Are they functional? Are they functional? Can I use it? Yeah. That's all. So this kind of romanticising about having guns is just something that this group would not connect with on any level. Yeah. It's totally consistent with comments that Glenn later makes. Yes. About who's actually capable in this world. And so where you saw Rick and Carl with just a pair of knives take out a whole bunch of walkers... What we see here is this bullshit ritual (laughs) that the douchebag patrol has. One of the walkers who took out some of their previous comrades, Mm. as if that walker had any sort of sentient notion while doing that, has been tied up so they can take out retribution on it every time they go out. It's totally weird. Alright. I was going to actually ask whether you could clarify what had happened there, because I wasn't sure I completely understood what the setup was. I thought maybe they had tried to trap it or something. No. So they had just tied it up and gave it a kick every time they went past. Well, their group used to have more people. Like, mm. there were other people who went yeah, out yeah, and yeah, yeah. with them. A group of walkers took four of those people out. And, and they captured yeah, one. captured one of the walkers. And just tortured it a bit every time they went past. Yeah, so, and they say, oh, to remind us of what we're facing every time we go out. That's some and the idea, And <laughs> again, the idea that Glenn and Tara and Noah yeah. need any reminding about what they're facing. I know, and the... Okay, this is the thing. Clearly Aiden and the rest of the people in Alexandria, presumably, but Aiden for certain... Mm are personalising it in a way that the group just doesn't. If someone fell down a cliff, you wouldn't go back to the cliff every day and, you know, kick it, go stupid cliff. But that's how the group, our group, 
sees walkers. It's they're an environmental hazard. You avoid them, and when you can, you you take them out. Yeah. To make the world slightly safer for you. But they are not vindictive. They're not alive. They're not people anymore. They're not. No. They certainly uh, didn't decide to pick off whichever particular one of them got killed. It was just a terrible tragedy and an accident. And the way that Aiden and his friends clearly have personalised it like that, and again, it just smacks of you don't really understand what it's like out there, do you? And what I find very odd about this is that it's so at odds with the notion of what Aaron and Eric go out and do. Yeah. Now, Aaron and Eric are meant to be out there following people for weeks on end without... Mm. Maybe not weeks, but following people for long periods of time without being noticed. Mm. I mean, this group's got Daryl in it, who's meant to be a great tracker. Mm, and he didn't realise. He didn't realise they were being followed. Mm. And followed at some proximity. Aaron and Eric obviously go out and survive for extended periods of time outside the community. They avoid the dangers. Now, how does this community sustain those two and their thinking mm. at the same time as these guys so not getting it? Yeah. I don't know. Supposedly Aiden is in charge of the raids mm-hmm. to bring back supplies. Does his attitude actually make it more likely that he and his friends are going to die? I think so. Well, we've certainly got some evidence of it since the last group did die. While I think those two things are certainly incongruous, I'm just saying I don't think they necessarily can't exist in different people. Just because you've got Aaron and Eric who have got a clear review of what life is like and, you know, how you should approach it, doesn't mean that there isn't just going to be some dickheads around the place. I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, it's totally possible. And they effectively have two very separate tasks. Yes. So maybe they've just never overlapped in their approaches. But it just seemed very odd. Yeah. In this instance, Aiden's approach definitely makes it more dangerous for people. Because even when they get to the place they've tied up this walker and the walker has escaped, they whistle loudly to make sure that walkers head back towards them. Yeah. And then they... Hold like what were they going to do? Punch it or smack it? I think they were. I thought they were. I thought they were going to try and tie it up again. Yeah, but then what? Do they just bash it up a bit each day? Like presumably, yeah. That's messed up. Yeah. The whole thing's very. But really, it's sort of completely pointless. It's not like you know they're teaching the poor a lesson. Yeah. I suppose on one level you can understand them getting some satisfaction out of making the thing that killed their friend suffer, but. I don't know, I mean, if a wolf had killed someone that I know, I don't think I'd get satisfaction out of tying it up and beating it. No. You're and right, wolf, it's just fucked up. And the wolf up. makes more of a choice than the walker does. Yeah, and no, you're right, it's just fucked up. They're just fucked up people, clearly. The one upside to the whole scene is how great the makeup on the walker is. Yeah. The really skin. Good. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. I really, yeah, that was great. <laughs> what an upside. Hmm. So the walker nearly gets Tara, but Glenn comes in and knifes it, and the three of them just have no time for the douchebag patrol. It's true. And they're obviously pissed off because they seem to be fighting the whole way back to the camp. Mm. And back in Alexandria, Aiden and Glenn finally square up to each other. Glenn speaks some beautiful truths to Aiden. Mm. It's wonderful to behold. (laughs) I mean, I liked all of it, of course, but I did like that Glenn said to him, no one's impressed. Yeah. Glenn clearly figured this dude out really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Your bravado is all show, and no one cares, mate. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then he just tells it like it is. Why did my mum let you in here? Because you need some people who actually can survive out there and know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, because you do not. Because you do not. And there's the beautiful, you know, he tries to sucker punch him. <laughs> And totally fails. It's glorious. It's glorious. And Glenn <laughs> just gives him one. Yeah. Right to the face. Pop. Bang. <laughs> Lays him flat. <laughs> it was great. And what I loved was that once Glenn had done that, all of Rick's group were there. Yeah. Backing him up. Yeah. The Shone was facing up to Aiden when he got back up. <laughs> That's right. Trying to get on your ass again. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the thing, like... <laughs> You just absolutely know that she would. Yeah. Not only that she could, that she would. Definitely. Daryl, meanwhile, is ready to choke Nicholas to death. (laughs) Well, he kind of is doing that, isn't he? Until Rick pulls him off. Very much so. (laughs) I got a feeling that some of Daryl's discomfort at his surroundings was perhaps being expressed at that point in time. It's just like, I hate this place, it's too (laughs) beautiful! So, Rick and his group turn up and are ready to back up Glenn. 
and you mentioned Rick's trying to pull Daryl off Nicholas. But Deanna turns up and breaks up the fight properly mm-hmm. and gets everyone back down. Mm-hmm. She makes it very clear. She announces to the whole community very clearly that Rick and his group are welcome and that they are equal participants in this community. So there's none of this, why did you let them in, bullshit. They're here now. Mm-hmm. Suck it up. Mm-hmm. She announces to Rick and Michonne that mm-hmm. she's going to make them constables of the town. Mm-hmm. They accept. Michonne okay. looks absolutely chuffed. Yeah, she does. <laughs> Imagine her in a uniform swinging that sword. It's going to be great. <laughs> Deanna also takes a moment to thank Glenn for putting Aiden in his place. Yeah. Glenn looks happy and Maggie looks horny. <laughs> she does, doesn't she? She looks very pleased with her man. <laughs> yes, I would be too. Carl and Enid catch each other's eyes and Carl asks, You don't like me, do you? And Enid just walks away. Yes. <laughs> Answering that question, I think. Do you think they called her Enid because to actually call her Daria would be too obvious? <laughs> so the next thing we see is Rick coming down the stairs in his new uniform. He looks like a bit of a dweeb. He does, doesn't he? <laughs> not a good fit. No. <laughs> so he's gearing up to take on his new role. But then out on the veranda, there's another conversation between Daryl and Carol and Rick. Well, it's like a sort of mini caucus of the leadership. Yes. I found it interesting that the people who were really focused on this episode as being not sure and as being the ones who were going to decide one way or the other were Mm. Rick, Carol, Daryl, Carl Mm. and Glenn. Mm. And those are the survivors from the original group. Mm. And it's interesting how much they are still... The, the decision makers and the core of this group. Yeah, although I think you'd include Michonne if you were going to include a decision making body or decision makers. I think she has a lot of agency within the group, but the ones who were sitting down quietly and talking about, so how are we going to handle this situation? How's our group going to survive here? She wasn't in that group. Not on this occasion, but she has been. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying in general, I yes. think I would include Michonne in the group. Oh yeah, and I don't think that there's a huge drop-off after that five. I just thought it was interesting that they're the ones who completely trusted each other to talk about this. Well, like you say, they've been together the longest, it does make sense. So, they have a little caucus, as you say. Carol repeats what Carl had mentioned earlier, that Mm. if we stay here we're going to get weak. And Rick is not at all convinced. He says two things, and I'm going to ask you about each of them. The first thing he says is that it's not in them to become weak again. Mm. And I wonder if you think that's true. Look, I think it's certainly possible to be permanently changed by your experiences. But to say that it's not in you to become weak again, I'm not sure if I would go that far. Mm -hmm. I think it might be true for some of them. But for the group as a whole, no. Particularly people like Noah, for example. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe they were just talking about themselves or the core group anyway. They might not have been talking about their most recent additions. Mm. Did we even see Gabriel in this episode? That was actually one of my first questions when we finished. Yeah, the ghost of Gabriel. I didn't see him once on screen. No. Maybe he's gone. I don't think he's gone. No, I didn't see him anyway. But he's not even hard yet. He can't go back to being soft because he still is. (laughs) That's true. I don't think they can go back to how they were before. That's impossible. Yeah. I think certainly that if you stayed there long enough, some of the things which by now have become second nature would start to get a little rusty. Mm -hmm. I think that's certainly true. But I do think that their experiences outside have permanently changed them. I think they will forever be cautious people who are suspicious of others and and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't think it's as easy as just sort of saying it's completely true or it's completely not true. They are going to be changed in some ways forever. But I don't think they're totally immune to partial reversion. The next thing that Rick says is that if this community turns out to be really as weak as they think it might be, Mm. they'll just take it. Yeah. I have to say, I was shocked. I thought that he might say, we'll leave, but to basically say, we're going to be the governor, that's kind of what he said. We're going to take this place from these people. I'm not sure if he meant take it from them. So much as take over. Mm. Well, look, of course it is better not to eject the people who were there. Yeah. But even to take over is something that I find... Put it this way, in the past, the group has expressed a desire to hang on to their idea of what's ethical. What ethics can you maintain in this world Mm. and try and hang on to them? And I feel like this is not consistent with that. 
I feel like they've made some pretty serious journeys from that initial statement, though. If you take Rick's statement at the beginning of this episode as his new version of ethics, mm. it's all about survival mm. and what's going to make my group survive. Well, why not? Before this, they were heading for Washington. Mm. Why couldn't they just say, we'll give us some supplies and we'll leave? Because they found an amazing... Well, I know, but it's just... Yeah, look, I, I suppose I'm just not very happy with the idea that the group is willing to just take this place. I think that them taking over would be one of the best things that could happen for the people of this town. Oh, yeah, maybe. Because they are weak. Yeah, but we're also in a situation where that's an okay thing to be. Mm, for how I mean, long? Well, you know, not forever, clearly, but for now. And it's possible that it could be forever. And only some of them need to be able to survive outside. But and at the moment, it looks like maybe two of them could. Not that well, needed. I don't think that it's necessarily the case that everyone inside the walls has to be totally hardened to survive outside it while actually living inside the walls. Like, what the fuck is the point of that? Why even have them then? Because although it's good to live in the prison... One day the walls of the prison might get busted open by a tank. Yeah, but I mean, they're also that also means, for example, what happens when Judith grows up? I mean, she's going to be growing up inside the walls. What, they're just going to leave her outside sometimes and say, well, you've got to survive now because you need to learn to be as tough as we all got to be. Well, they're not going to leave her outside like weird Spartans <laughs> and wolves, but they will take her outside and train her how to kill walkers. Of course they will. Mm. It would be negligent not to. But there is absolutely no way that she, growing up inside the walls is going to experience the desperation they did outside. No, but they could train her to fight. And mm. they could, once she's a bit older, take her on a couple of day trips mm. to experience what it's like living outside the walls. Mm. Well, I'll And I think that not doing that would be negligent parenting. Yeah, I think they should do that as well. But I just think that... Well, firstly, I'm not sure if I'm necessarily on board with the whole idea that everyone in this community is weak. They're not Rick's group, that's for sure. But I'm not that certain that they're necessarily weak. And I also think that if you're living in a situation like that, then you don't have to be as hardened as Rick's group are. And that's okay up to a point. I just completely disagree. I think part of the reason they've done so well is that they've been in a fairly lowly populated area. And eventually, I mean, if nothing else, eventually a massive herd is going to come by. Mm. I mean, one of the mega herds, the waves that we've seen. Yeah, yeah. Well, eventually, one of those is going to come by. Mm. And eventually, someone like the bastards who Daryl was in with, mm. you know, who attacked Carl, mm. eventually they're going to turn up. Or eventually, some asshole's going to have a tank. Yeah. And at that point, if everyone there can't pick up a gun and fight, then they're done. Sure. And if they have to evacuate and everyone has to run, then a lot of those people are done. Yeah. And I don't think that everyone... I mean, I think the community is not without some strengths. The things that they've achieved in terms of building and maintaining a lifestyle is incredible. And Deanna seems to have a lot of skills at trying to build a community and get people to work as a team. I'm not saying that they don't have any strengths of any sort, but as a community... They are actually, militarily speaking, quite weak. Mm. And mostly just lucky. Does making that community stronger have to involve taking it over, though? Like, it worries me that Rick's response to this community might be too weak. His response to that is, we'll take it over. Why isn't it, I'll go and see Deanna and say, look, I know that you wouldn't survive. These things that we've had to survive, these things are out there, you don't know about them. This is how I think this place should be run better. Well, I think that would probably be one of the first steps. Mm. He doesn't say we're taking it over tomorrow. He says no. if they can't make it. So presumably at first he tries talking to them, training them, getting her to think a bit more strategically. Maybe she tries that stuff. And if they turn out to be unable mm. to take those considerations seriously, then he looks at taking over. Well, I suppose once they've been there for a while, and Deanna's already declared them part of the community... Mm. Once they've been there a while, then they're just as entitled to change the way things work as anyone else is there. Yeah. And in whatever sort of community democracy or decision-making exists, they've just turned up with, what, 15 votes? Mm. It's a big caucus. (laughs) Again, I think this is a situation where there are arguments on both sides. Mm. And I don't think Rick's version of taking over is going to be like he's the governor. 
But there's no arguing with the cold, hard logic of going, this place is better than being outside and we'll stay here, however that needs to happen. Yeah. I just, I don't like the idea of the group becoming more like the people they've fought against. I don't think Rick's way of running the community would be any different from his way of running the group, which was Mm. already very different from all of those tyrants. Yeah, that's true. It would just be with him being in charge. Mm. And this community might be better off with that. Mm. I wonder if they might end up forming some kind of council. I mean, Deanna seems to be running things Mm. on her own, but they might set up something similar to what was in the prison. Although that was set up because Rick was no longer prepared to be the leader. Yeah. So, that's the end of the episode, Mm Rick's big statement. We've already covered where was Gabriel. He didn't appear at all, did he? I don't think so. Gabriel's ghost was elsewhere. (laughs) A whole lot of the individuals from Rick's group had very different reactions to Alexandria portrayed in the episode. Did you think that they were all in character? Were there any that particularly interested you? You mean reactions to the... To being in this community. Well, I suppose the thing is we didn't actually see everyone's reaction. We saw the core group. Yeah, but of the ones we saw. Oh, yeah. I think they were all fairly consistent. Do you think not? No, I found them very interesting. Oh, okay. I thought maybe the question might have arisen because you thought one of the characters was not congruent with their previous portrayal. The one that I found quite interesting in particular was, I mean, it's the one that gets played (coughs) twice, once at the beginning and once at the end. Rick saying you shouldn't let people in. Mm. And it becomes clear when she says what people like you. Mm. He is actually kind of thinking of people like them. Mm. I think one of the things he has assessed and found wanting is whether or not this group is suspicious enough of outsiders. Mm. Okay. I think back to Glenn's comments last (coughs) episode when they're walking along the road with the guns and they're having the debate about whether or not they should shoot anyone they see. Someone says, oh, it could be people like us. And Glenn's retort to that is, if it's people like us, we should be afraid of them. We should Mm. be worried about them. Mm. Well, that's certainly true. (laughs) I think one of Rick's things is saying, well, you kind of lucked in with us, but you really shouldn't have let in a group like ours. It wasn't a canny move. Is that true, though? Because they haven't taken over the place. Not yet. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's one of those interesting things. I think that Rick and Glenn in those statements are conscious of how dangerous their own group can be. Yeah. And they know that they wouldn't trust them if they met them. I think that what they mean is that if they met them, they wouldn't have the time, for example, to find out whether these were people whose way of surviving was to literally seek out and fuck other people over. The group is dangerous because of what they can do. Mm. They're not dangerous in the sense that they don't actively go out and fuck other groups over in the way that other groups have attempted to do to them. So the difference is that the Alexandria people had Aaron and Eric follow them around for quite some time, literally listening in on their conversations, listening to them not saying, we just need to find another group and then we'll be okay because we'll fucking kill them and eat them. Which is what they would have heard from the Terminus people or whatever. Yes. I'm just saying that I think that it's not as simple as just going, well, you know, you shouldn't have let us in because we're dangerous people. They didn't let them in without any intelligence whatsoever. It's not like they just went, oh, look, people, throw open the doors. It was people who, after observation, seemed to be decent people who could actually fill in some gaps in our community, mm. as we've established. They've got some pretty major ones. They do have some gaps. So I think maybe what they've actually done is a calculated risk. And Deanna, although she wasn't there listening to the conversations, clearly made a decision based upon what Aaron and Eric told her about what they heard from the group. And she says that she's a canny person. So it's a calculated risk. You know, we can strengthen our group by letting these people who appear to be decent people with a set of skills. So... I understand that. That's not really what I'm getting at. I disagree with you about what makes Rick's group dangerous. I agree with you in that they don't seek out groups to fuck over. Mm. But their aim is not to do good. No. Their aim is not to be ethical. Their aim is to survive. And anything that will improve the chances for their group, for their family to Mm. survive, becomes ethically acceptable. But hasn't their track record been that when they've encountered other people, if this other group is not trying to murder us, then we don't murder them, 
In fact, we consider letting them join us if we think they're alright. I think a lot of stuff has happened since the last time they seriously let any group join them. Wasn't the last group Abraham's group? Yeah. But that happened in a very haphazard way. Glenn was on his own with Tara and they got rescued by Abraham's group and actually those two joined them. And if you remember, Glenn was basically knocked out and woke up driving in the back of a truck Mm. and instantly wanted to leave. Mm. That's a very unusual situation. The last several groups they've met have all been absolute nightmares Mm. and have tried to kill them. And I think that has changed them. Sure. The people who left the farm and the people who... Even the people who ran the prison and went and picked up the Woodbury survivors. Mm. That's not who this group is anymore. Glenn talks about that. Glenn says, that bloke who we saved from the train cart. Mm. I'm not sure I'd stop for him now. Mm. I think about the discussion we had when we were very frustrated about their plans for the hostage swap with the people in the hospital. Mm. Certainly for me, the main problem I had with Tyrese's plan was that its primary aim wasn't the survival of their group. Right. Its primary aim was for there to be no one dead on any side. Yep. Whereas Rick's plan, and you can debate the actual strategic benefits of each of the plans, Mm. but Rick's plan came from a starting point of our group's going to survive this. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I think I agree with you on this point. I think that that's a really important shift in particularly this leadership group's thinking within Rick's group. Mm. So not just him, but also Carol, Daryl. Carol's not there to make friends. She's got on her disguise, ready for the day they need to do whatever it is they need to do. Mm. I don't think Glenn's making friends all around the place, even though he wants to stay there. Mm. He really wants to be in that community. Sure. But I think the main thing he wants is the wall. So I think the thing that makes Rick's group dangerous isn't that they're seeking to fuck over this group, but that for their own survival, they will take this group's place. Mm. Well, I guess we will find out. Mm. What did you think of the new people we met? Well, Aiden's a douchebag. That's been established. <laughs> and we all enjoyed him getting punched in the face. That was quite fun. And like I said, I hope he really cracks on to Tara because that would be wonderful. <laughs> Seeing her taken down. What about yeah. Diana? I think there's more to her. I think there has to be, if she was a congresswoman. I don't know, there's a lot of clowns in congress. <laughs> well, that's that's possibly true. Do you reckon she was a congresswoman? To be honest, it didn't even occur to me to question that. But, well, who knows? You could claim anything at this point, yeah. couldn't you? You could say, apart from something that's really easy to test, oh, I used to be a doctor, oh, good, we've got someone wounded, help them. Oh, actually, no, I'm not. Yeah. You know, apart from stuff like that. Or well, being could... a scientist and getting near Washington. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Apart from easily testable things, you could say, oh yes, I used to be a uh, published author, or whatever. Yeah. You could say pretty much anything. Uh, look, I think there's more to discover about Deanna, that's all. The eager want to make this work, well, I feel like it's probably genuine. I feel like there must be something else to her. Mm-hmm. We didn't see a lot of Jessie, but I think that she probably is what she appears to be. Yeah, a her woman hus- of many talents. <laughs> yes. Her husband is weird, though. Her husband is a little odd. What about Enid? Why do you think she's going over the fence? Oh, I think it's a bit of Darylitis. I mm-hmm. think she's not quite accustomed to being in safety. What if she's the new Beth? Mm, maybe. <laughs> I assume that she was going out because she's got some kind of fucked up mental need to experience danger or the rush of, you know, oh, it's a walker or something like that. Why else would you do that? Well, another way to think about it is to say... I mean, maybe for some of it is an adrenaline rush, but also maybe she's conscious of the fact that if she doesn't keep her skills up, Mm. she's in a more vulnerable situation. Maybe. We don't know how she arrived yet. No. Did she arrive with other people or on her own? I think that if she arrived on her own, then what you just described is far, far more likely. Mm. Well, if she had to survive on her own for quite a while. Particularly if she had been with people and then had to survive on her own, she might be thinking, this is all temporary. Yeah, I think anyone who spent a lot of time outside Mm. is going to have that urge, though. I mean, Carl and Rick clearly did. Mm. They didn't arrive on their own. Yeah, I think you're probably right. What was your standout moment? It's really hard to decide. There were three standout moments, Mm -hmm. but I'm only going to name one because obviously I don't want to steal what could be yours. (laughs) I'm going to have to say Carol's interview. 
is my standout moment, just because it won a load of porkies. <laughs> it was all bollocks, and it was so funny. <laughs> well, as an addendum to that, this isn't mine, but I think that included in yours are all of Daryl's reactions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Team bullshit. Team bullshit. <laughs> what about yours? I'm going to have to choose Glenn punching Aiden. It was a beautiful duck and weave. That was probably my second, although I think, to be honest, my equal second with that mm. is Carol's Cardi. <laughs> Carol's Cardigan of Lies. <laughs> Next to the poncho of horror. Carol, master of disguise. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, Glenn punching Aiden in the face. Very satisfying. Oh, wonderful, wasn't it? Yeah. You just spent the whole of that time spent with him watching going, you're such a douchebag. Yeah. And smack her in the face. Mm. To make it even sweeter. He didn't get to touch Glenn at all. No. <laughs> Nothing. Glenn dozy doed that punch. That's right. And then thwacko. And then presumably Maggie took him away and gave him a jolly good, jolly good fuck. Nice <laughs> use of innuendo then. Sometimes it's just not necessary. <laughs> Can I ask one question? Mm. If she's such a great judge of people, mm. what was she doing nominating Noah for the patrol team? Noah who gets stuck behind bits of latticework for no reason. <laughs> or who in massive empty building corridors gets trapped by zombies under bookshelves. <laughs> well, maybe this is the first sign that actually she's not as gaddy as she thinks. <laughs> maybe what she actually detected was, this guy's useless. <laughs> we need to get rid of him as fast as possible. <laughs> Let's expose him to danger. <laughs> Maybe she's an evil mastermind. I was going to say, that would be a very clever way of doing it. Mm. Did you have a zombie killer of the week? There aren't many options, but I think the one you have to go with is Carl with the pole through the head of the zombie that lunged at Mm. Wick from under its hiding place where it apparently made no noise. Yeah, where it had been sleeping apparently. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, the pole through the head, I reckon. I suppose, and I'll let you go, because there's only one other contender and you should be able to talk about (laughs) Oh, I'm not sure if I will. The one that I would pick would be Sasha's sniper shot. Oh, okay. I was thinking the other one was going to be Glenn and Tara taking out the zombie that they wanted to. Yeah. Mainly because just prior to taking it out, Tara managed to rip off its skin. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> zombie skinning of the week. Yeah. Well, I, they must have got an incredibly skinny person to oh, play that particular zombie. Surely parts of that were puppet. I know, it looked like a person walking around to me. I think lots of it was, but I think the bit where she ripped skin off an empty skeleton was probably a puppet. <laughs> I think, to be honest, There's thin, and then there's actually a skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I saw underneath, like, basically another skin. Oh, okay. But, I don't know. It was quite fast. They don't um, get particularly thin people mm, to play the zombies, so no that they mind. can put a lot of prosthetic on them. <laughs> yes. Score out of ten? Mm, it was good. I reckon 7.5? Yeah. It wasn't a particularly suspenseful episode. It was seeing how the group acclimatised to this new situation. Which is, you know, it's interesting. And not every episode can be a nail-biter, that's all. But it was a good effort at making us see how a group like this responds when confronted with sudden security. (laughs) So, yeah, no, 7.5. Not brilliant, but certainly a good effort. I think I'd go for eight, which is a drop on my last couple of scores. I think that they're still they're maintaining that good momentum. There were a few things about the community that I found inconsistent, which is mm-hmm. what's led to the score drop. Like playing video games. <laughs> well, Metal welding is no, actually no, they were fairly, more... <laughs> they were fairly consistent throughout about their gratuitous <laughs> consumption. Mm-hmm. I was more thinking about stuff like how do Aaron and Aiden exist in the same community and things mm-hmm. like that. But maybe some of that stuff will be fleshed out in coming episodes. Yeah, maybe. And no episode where Carol and Daryl interacted the way they did is getting below eight from me. <laughs> you look ridiculous! <laughs> <laughs> Can I hose you down in your sleep? <laughs> well, that wraps it up for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, please send it to tppfeedback at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as at TPP Feedback, and you can find us on Facebook just by searching for The People's Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Unless it's cruel. Then you can fuck right off. 
Bye. Fuckity bye. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live.